This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. However you find the show on streaming, terrestrial radio, satellite radio, early adopters on podcasts, thanks for being with us. Listen, you come to the show for politics, policy, and pop culture. All three are implicated by the war in Ukraine, and a lot of other things are implicated. Economies, yours and others. Geopolitics, America's friends care about what happens in Ukraine. America's enemies, North Korea and Iran, chief among them, care about what happens in Ukraine. America's chief geopolitical rival, China, cares deeply about what may or may not happen in Ukraine. That's why it's going to be the focus of the show for the foreseeable future. Our guest this week... President Trump's second national security advisor, H.R. McMaster. He has a Ph.D. from the University of North Carolina in American history. He is, among his contemporaries, one of the most important military thinkers and strategists of his generation. H.R., it's great to have you with us. Thanks. Major, it's great to be with you. And thanks for what you're doing with this podcast, because we need more of this. We need more uh, people, I think, exploring these issues in, in, in greater detail and and having meaningful discussions, right, about the challenges and opportunities that we face internationally. Thank you. So let's start with some uh, bullet points, if you will. And I use that, obviously, metaphorically. Yesterday, we were recording this the morning of March 17th, and I want to thank HR for getting up really early on the West Coast (laughs) to be with us. President Biden, in response to a question after an event in the White House, said, yes, Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Is that true? Should the president have said it? And what are the implications of a president saying that? Major, I think it's true, right? It's time to it's time to pull out all the stops, right? So, so you know, the the definition of terrorism is the use of violence against innocents for a political purpose. That's what he's doing right now, you know, in in, in Ukraine. And so, I, I think I think we ought to designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism because that's what they're doing. And and I think Vladimir Putin's a pariah. And he, and, he, and can, can you imagine, Major, that he's going to be welcomed back in? to the halls of power? Can you see him walking in to the White House or, you know, or to the European Union in Brussels or, or the General Assembly or the General Assembly? Of course. I mean, I mean, can you, you can't imagine it. So I think I think that was the right move, but it needs to be followed up, I think, with some more concrete action like. Well, I think like like Desne Russia is a state sponsor of terrorism, like, you know, like sanctioning the hydrocarbon sector, you know, like providing 
Ukraine with some of the more defensive, more of the defensive capabilities they need, like like medium range air defense capabilities or short ship mm-hmm. missiles, or you know. So I, I mean, I think that it's important now that we pull out the stops. I mean, you know, this guy is committing mass murder of innocent people every day, right? And and so we can we can you know we can you know we 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 can cry about it, you know, we can be sad about it, but we have to actually do something about it. Earlier this week on CBS Mornings, and the reason you were there is one of the reasons you're also here. Not only are you a deep thinker on this, but you're also a CBS contributor, and we're very glad about that. You said the White House should not, and the president should not, talk about World War III. Why not? Well, you know, because, Major, this is what Putin's trying to do, right? He, you know, he pulled out his nuclear saber, right, and he rattled it. And, and, the, and the reason that, that, that Putin did this is because, you know, it's been part of their doctrine, to do it because this is a way that, that that Putin thinks he can accomplish his objectives below the threshold of what might elicit a concerted response from the United States, from the European Union, from NATO, from, from you know the free world. And I think that that what we have to do is is we have to not allow him to threaten the use of nuclear weapons so he can continue to commit mass murder uh in, in Ukraine. And and uh, and so whenever we, we we say that those words World War Three we buy into his narrative, and this is a narrative that is associated with this his doctrine of escalation, domination. And more to the point, do you believe that that language rhetorically paints us into a corner? It does. Yeah, it it, it does. And so, Major, one of the things that frustrates me is like, you know, why why do we keep talking about what we're not going to do? Right? I mean, like, hey, just stop doing that. Stop taking things off the table. I mean, Putin has created a, a real problem set for himself, right? His, his economy is being destroyed. You know, he, he, you know, he is, I think, in, in a very weakened position internally, although it's very difficult for any of us to understand what, you know, what's happening inside of the Kremlin and in the power structure there. You know, but, but he, you know, he's created problems for himself. Stop taking those problems off the table. Create more dilemmas for him. And, and this is, I think, analogous to, to what we did really Going back to last fall, why the heck did we did, did we pull our naval forces out of the Black Sea? I mean, th- that removed a dilemma for him, right? And why do we mm-hmm. keep talking about things we're not going to do? We're not going to send MiGs, you know, or use a U.S. base for MiGs to be transferred, for example. Uh, these are these are the Russian fighter jets, you know, to to uh, to to, to uh, Poland. And just, I mean, if, if you're not going to do it, just don't talk about it. Right, right. Did you watch uh, President Zelensky's speech to Congress? I did. I did. Your reaction? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Right. So, so I, I think he is emerging as you know the, the the galvanizing figure of our age. Right. So, so you know, Major, what 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 we've been in denial about is is we've been in denial about geopolitics. Right. Geopolitics is back with a vengeance. Right. We at the end of the Cold War we. You know, we, we wanted to we, we had a good reason to be optimistic. Right. We won the Cold right. War against the Soviet Union and and and, uh, and and communist totalitarianism. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. reason to celebrate. I was there on the east west German border when it happened. Right. So, so so reason to celebrate. But, you know, we became complacent. You know, we believed uh, in, in the in the sort of simplistic view of, of Frank Fukuyama, who's my my uh, my colleague here at Stanford, you know his right. his thesis that an arc of history, it, right, right, an arc of history, 
you know, had 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 guaranteed the primacy of our free and open societies over closed authoritarian systems. There are so many examples of this in recent years. I mean, you know, I don't want to caricature anybody, but remember when remember when when John Kerry, who was the Secretary of State at the time, uh, when 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 uh, when Ukraine when Ukraine first became subjected to a physical invasion, you know, by mm-hmm. by the Russians in 2014 when they annexed Crimea and they invaded Eastern Ukraine, he said, "Oh gosh, you know, that's so." You know, 19th century. You know, what are they doing here? You know, of course, you know, he was in denial about it. Or when, or when he was in the debate with, uh, with Mitt Romney when uh, during the presidential uh, debates, uh, President Obama was at the time in, in you know in in the in the 2000s, and and uh, and and Mitt Romney said, you know, Russia is really a right, you know, a, a really a, a the number one geopolitical threat, a geopolitical threat. He said, you know, number hey, one. He said the 20th century is calling you. To get your right. foreign policy back. Okay, so, all right, we took a holiday from history is what we did. And, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, history, geopolitics is coming back with a vengeance now in large measure uh, due to our complacency. But I would say, Major, I mean, it's not, it, it, it's not primarily due to our complacency. It's primarily due to Putin's aspirations, right? What mm-hmm. Putin wants to achieve that is, I think, independent of uh, of what we do, right? So so Putin actually has aspirations that go far beyond, you know, his, his response to to what we do. Mm-hmm. We got about a minute to go before our first break. HR McMaster and there was a report yesterday in the Financial Times that oh, there might be a negotiated settlement. The stock market went up as a result. <laughs> Does that suggest that the West is overly eager for a negotiated settlement here? And should we temper any sense of potential enthusiasm about this negotiated settlement happening anytime soon? Absolutely. <laughs> do, you, do you remember? Do you remember, Major, like it, when COVID started? Every, oh, it's it's, it's going to be over, right? This is like in, in the spring of 2020 uh, when when all of our families moved back in with us, and, and this always you know it, it's not going to happen, Major, because I think you know Putin has staked out an extremist position. Right. And on uh, based on fundamentally flawed assumptions, all of those assumptions are false. Right. The Ukrainians have no national identity. They're going to fold right away. This guy is Zelensky. Right. He's a you know, he's a you know, he's a you know, he, he's an actor. He's a comedian. Right. He's a ballroom dancer. He's going to fold. Right. I mean, all uh, the, the Russian military has tremendous prowess. Right. It's going to it's going it's going to accomplish objectives within the first few days so he said HR, the, hold up hold that thought hold that thought i'm going to jump in right now because i have to hold that thought we'll pick up on the other side i made you garrett segment two of the takeout in just one second this episode is brought in part to you by audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. 
From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. H.R. McMaster, President Trump's second national security advisor, also a deep thinker on all matters military and a successful combatant himself in Iraq and other places for the United States military, United States Army, West Point grad, Ph.D., University of North Carolina, American history. Continue your thoughts on what Putin thought would happen and what's actually happening. Major, you know, he he really, uh, I think, fell into the trap that leaders do, authoritarian leaders in particular, who draw this circle really closely to themselves. You know, he, you know, people started telling him what he wanted to hear, right? Because like, if, if you don't tell what he wants to hear, you're going to be gone. So, so, so uh, what did he hear? He heard that Ukraine is not, does not really have a national identity. And re- remember last summer, he published this long 6,000 word yep. essay under his name in which he said, okay, you know, Ukraine has always longed to be part of Mother Russia. It has no national identity. So the second flawed assumption was that that the, that the Ukrainian military would fold, right? And he assumed that you know, the old saying, the military is always re- re- prepared to fight its last war. Well, in this case, mm-hmm. I think that's often not true, right? But, but in this case, it was true. And he was thinking of the Ukrainian army and the military of the Ukrainian mil- mil- military of 2014, Right when when he first invaded Ukraine, when he first when he annexed uh, uh, Crimea, well, it's not. It, it's improved tremendously. It, it's it's focused on the training and professionalism, and 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 of course, you know, it, it's motivated, it's animated, you know, by by a spirit of uh, of the need to defend their country against Russians, uh, you know, Russian uh, aggression. On that. On that point, HR, it almost feels as if Putin thought that this would be analogous to the Germans in their two-week march into Paris and France in World War II, that they would capitulate, they would decapitate the capital, take over the country, and it wouldn't take much time. All that menacing preparation in the months before would lead to the Ukrainians to yield and roll over. Much as the French did in World well, War II, six weeks actually, right? And 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 uh, in in, okay. in in, uh, in in France and and uh, and you know, and that had everything to do with it, with the other factor, right? National will, right? He wrote national will off. Look at Mariupol, right? Look at Kharkiv. Look at these cities that have been subjected to indiscriminate bombing and mass murder of innocent people, and they're more resolute. Right. And so so the, 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 the issue of national will, which you're alluding to in 1940, I mean, so a book that that our viewers ought, ought, to, ought to check out is called Strange Defeat uh, by Mark Block. And and what he does in that book, it's a it's a, it's a small book, is he explains the, the, the collapse of France in 1940 and he explains it largely as a failure of national will. But the but the other the other the other analogy I think is is Poland 1939, and and there's a book by Roger Morehouse. It's entitled you know appropriately enough Poland 1939. And, and in this book and in this book he he describes how Nazi Germany set up right this the 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 the, the invasion of Poland right and did it in collusion. You know, with with Molotov in the Molotov Pact with the, with the Soviet right. Union, and and uh, and I'm telling you, Major. I mean, the parallels are striking in terms of all of the false flag operations and so forth. And you know, but but I think we should take inspiration from that, right? The Polish people endured, I mean, unspeakable hardships. Look, but look mm-hmm. at the Polish nation today. Look how strong they are. Look at how 
resolute a supporter they are of, of Ukraine for good reason, because they live through it. And then, you know, I, I think there are other examples in history we ought to look at. Look at Finland, actually, in the same year, 1939, um, 1940. And, and also, I think, look at the Montenegrins in the 19th century, you know, uh, who, who fought off a huge Ottoman assault on them. And, and so what, I think what you're seeing is, is that just an, an example of, 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 of popular will of people coming together mm-hmm. and, you know, how does your heart not go out to Ukrainians, you know, who are, who are so courageous, who are so, you know, uh, resilient. So, H.R., what does Putin do with all these miscalculations? There is a great sense of anxiety about his state of mind, yeah. about this idea that the Russian military did not perform as well and is not performing as well. His options are increasingly limited. Russia may this week or sometime next week default on one of its repayments of sovereign debt. All of these things create an anxiety about his limited options and increased fevered mentality. What are your thoughts? Make sure... Russia fails, <laughs> right? And I think that's a got that has to be our objective, right? And because you know, if if Putin and Russia you know doesn't fail right now, I mean this 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 conflict's not over, right? I mean, I you know we're, we're talking about like will it get resolved? Are there peace talks? Hey, this is going to be with us for a long time, right? I mean, what do you mean by a long time? HR? I think months, potentially years, right? Because I mean, British intelligence says fifteen to twenty. Years, you know, I, 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 well, I think potentially yes, but we, but we, we have some agency over that, right? We can, we can affect that. You know, we can sanction hydrocarbons. We can provide Ukraine with with some additional defensive capabilities. You know, medium range air defense, shorter ship missile capabilities. You know, we, I mean, we, we need to do that because it's not going to be over, right? You know, if if Russia were, which they can't do it, they can't, they cannot subjugate all of Ukraine under a puppet government. Mm-hmm. That was their objective. It's impossible. At this stage, I think for them to do it, but but what they can do is they can keep a conflict going. They can continue to inflict you know all sorts of unspeakable you know hardships and 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 and, and brutality uh, on the on the on the Ukrainian people. So what what do we do? I mean, I, I think that what we have to do is we have to win, right? And I'm telling you, the word win is is a word we don't use enough anymore, right? I mean, mm-hmm. remember, remember, when, remember when Ronald Reagan was asked, you know, hey, well, you know, because right. you, he was a Cold Warrior, right, against the Soviet right. Union. And, and they said, what's your strategy? And they said, what's your strategy? He goes, hey, my strategy is like, we win, they lose. They lose. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> Very how about some of that? On we this program, to- on this program last week, H.R. Uh, McMaster, Mike Quigley, congressman from Illinois, Democrat, co-chair of the Ukraine caucus, said, the war is already here. We're already at war. Let's stop quibbling over what is or isn't provocative to Putin. Don't give him the luxury of defining what provocation is. Help the Ukrainians prevail. I gather you agree. You know, I agree. I agree. But but of course, I think you have to, you know, I, I think major, we ought to have like a framework for understanding every action we take, right? And and to mm-hmm. evaluate it. And I think there are some objectives that we're pursuing that are in tension with, with each other. So the, the objective we've talked about is, okay, make sure Russia fails. Objective one. Objective two ought to be, you know, it, 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 you know mitigate the humanitarian catastrophe in Afghanistan. Provide all the assistance you can. Ukraine. In, in, I mean, yeah, in, in Ukraine. The, the, to help the Ukrainians in any way you can. The, the third would be, I think, to, uh, you know, to, to prevent escalation to nuclear war. I mean, that has to be an objective. 
Yes. Uh, and the fourth, I think, should be to use this crisis to shift the balance away from authoritarian powers, Russia and China, and, and, and toward the free world, right? And this is a great opportunity to do that because it's rare that you have this kind of clarity, right, between our system, our free and open democratic system, and Russia and China. And you know, these are countries that that that, you know, that are shutting off any kind of information that, that that is not you know the state-based propaganda. They're killing journalists. They're imprisoning journalists. You know, these are people who you know in in Russia, right? Putin likes to look strong, right? I mean, he's the he's the the shirtless man on horseback, right? But you know, I mean, you know, Putin uh, has more political prisoners in jail in Russia. Than, than we're in jail during the height of the Soviet Union, right? He has more people in his internal security service than he has in the Russian military. Does that make him look, make him actually weaker than he looks? Absolutely. Yes, yes. And I'll tell you, Major, what, one of the things that I, I have no idea about, and I don't think anybody does, is what is the power structure within the Kremlin, right? What could happen? Could there be a palace coup as, as Russia's economy based on these unprecedented economic and financial sanctions is, is, is cratering, right? Uh, and this is this is one of the things I think we need to give the Biden administration big credit for, right? Is is the amount of unity, you know, and 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 the and and how much consensus there's been across the free world on these sanctions. I mean, we're talking about just not only the US and the European Union and the UK, but we're talking about you know Japan, right? The world's third largest economy and and South Korea and hey, how about Singapore, right? I mean, there there are countries who have joined us in this. Uh lots of people are in. HR, let me grab a quick break. We'll come back and talk about China. We'll talk about whether this is the West's fault because there's an intellectual argument about that. I want you to weigh in on and more. I made your Garrett segment 3 of the take out with HR McMaster in just one second. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to segment three of The Takeout. H.R. McMaster is our special guest, CBS contributor, second national security advisor to President Trump. He had four, if you were counting, because I covered the White House. I I counted in men all four. I was going to say one of many, one of many. One of many, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So real quick, H.R., the conversation about a no-fly zone. Should there be one? And what are the risks involved if we, in fact, do that? Well, there should be one, right? We, we probably everybody agrees that there should be one, but of course, any action you take in war is not is, is not without risk, right? Because war is 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 interactive, and your enemy has a say in what happens next. But you know, what I would say, Major, is like, how many deaths are we willing to just watch, right? You know, mm-hmm. and and the estimates now are that, you know, heck, there there could be a million deaths, there could be ten million refugees, right? So. I just think whatever we're going to do when there are 1 million deaths, we should do right now, right? And and, and mm-hmm. to try to mitigate the humanitarian catastrophe. Now, of course, again, it's not without risk, but there are some messages I think we could give Vladimir Putin, right? What, 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 one of the things that, that bothers me is, I mentioned this before, you know, is that, okay, why, why, do we, why are we 
talking about what we're not going to do. Right? I mean, talk about, just don't talk about it. If you're not going to do it, just don't talk about it. And so I think what's happened is some of what the Biden administration has done before the invasion and up to now has almost inadvertently greenlighted what Putin's doing. Because now he's assured, okay, well, yeah, yeah, of course, they're not going to do a no-fly zone. They're not going to challenge the Black Sea, right? They're not going to introduce their own troops. They're not going to keep their advisors there. They're not going to keep, I mean, one of the things that bothers the heck out of me, you know, Major, is, is that, you know, we, we run away from these conflicts, right? I mean, you know, why did we evacuate everybody from Kiev? Why, why did we do that, right? We just saw three courageous leaders of European nations take a train to Kiev, right? But we evacuated right. all of our people. And as Churchill said after Dunkirk, right, hey, you know, it's great for us to high five each other, but evacuations don't win wars, right? And so I think we should have created more dilemmas for Putin and, and stopped cataloging all the things we're not going to do. Mm -hmm. So you are a historian. You know there is a conversation that is not a fringy conversation. It's a robust conversation that in some quarters, the West provoked this, dating all the way back to 2008 yeah, when yeah. NATO invited Ukraine and Georgia in a general sense to eventually join NATO. A very significant person who I'm sure you're familiar with, John Mersheimer, who is a protege intellectually of George Kennan, one of the most important architects. No, don't don't lump those guys together. Come on, I mean, Mearsheimer is a, is a he's a an ideologue, right? Mm -hmm. Kennan is a real scholar, historian, diplomat. But okay. anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. He has argued. John Mersheimer has argued that the West provoked this because it should have known and should have respected Putin's sense about Ukraine territorial proximity and implications of it either joining or aligning itself with the West. Just, he argues, I'm not saying this, I'm saying what he yeah. says, we would view askance and view as hostile any outside effort to do something within our hemisphere, Central America or South America, that was directly threatening to U.S. interests. I want you to respond. Well, you know, th this is an as astonishing example of moral equivalence, right? And and, you know, Mearsheimer and others who are with him in this so-called realist school of American mm -hmm, foreign right. policy are actually ideologues, right? They're ideologues because they think America's disengagement from complex challenges abroad is an unmitigated good because they actually see us as the problem. Now, think about that, right? Actually, what they're assuming is that Vladimir Putin has no aspirations beyond those that are in reaction to us. These are people who I, I believe who are guilty of what I describe in, in the book Battlegrounds as uh, of strategic narcissism, the tendency to define the world only in relation to us. Hey, but, you know, Vladimir Putin, he has aspirations of his own that he's made quite clear, actually, when he took power in 2000, in the year 2000, which he made even clearer right through his actions and through a speech he gave in Munich in 2007, through denial of service attacks in Estonia in 2007, through the invasion of Georgia in 2008. And so I think, thank God that the Baltic states, right, mm -hmm. La Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, thank God that, you know, that, that Romania, right, and Bulgaria and, and the other, you know, former Warsaw Pact countries did get access to NATO because how, how much, how much worse would it be? It would be a lot worse 
if they weren't members of NATO. He's already occupied Belarus. He just in, he just intervened in Kazakhstan, right? He's been intervening actually in Ukraine at least since 2004 with a rigged election there. You know, he is he's he's actually planned a coup uh, and 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 uh, and was going to commit an assassination. Uh, in 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 Montenegro, you know, he's undermined uh, Moldova. He's attacked our democracy and and, and, and countries in Europe with, with cyber-enabled information warfare. Right? right. So, okay. Okay. So, what 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 I think is really important is that you know it is not us. And what what I what I really what bothers me about this so-called real school right is they engage in not only moral equivalence but in just continuous self-flagellation. And if you go back to Putin's speech, just read his 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 so his essay that he published, 6,000 word essay in the summer of last year. Mm-hmm. That was his blueprint, right, for invading Ukraine. And you know, I mean in that his argument is is the Mearsheimer argument, right? And, and and what he said is okay, he said Ukraine has been orphaned but the the former foreign minister of Poland, uh, you know, uh, you know, Sikorsky, you know, he said, "Hey, you know, we were never your children, Russia." Right. And right. by the way, what we did in nineteen, you know, in 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 the nineteen nineties is we ended the serial rape and occupation of our countries by Russia. Right, and this theory is now being tested, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, by Ukrainians fighting for their own national identity fighting for their own will to live as they choose to live, fighting to continue with the path they set for themselves, quite independent of any power, imperial or otherwise, in their neighborhood. Absolutely. And so, you know, no one has done more to, to you know, to, to uh, you know, strengthen Ukrainian uh, sense of nationalism than Vladimir Putin. Maybe Stalin did, right? I mean, Stalin in the 1930s, uh, starved to death, probably 10 million people in Ukraine, uh, in the Holomador, in, during which to subjugate Ukraine, right, to subsume it within the Soviet Union, uh, he he uh, he collectivized all, all the agriculture right. and he shipped grain to Russia as people were starving, right? Yes. And so, so the Ukrainian people, I mean, people were in that part of the world except the united states the united states really we have historical amnesia right we we don't we don't remember anything right but i mean but in europe i mean the ukrainians remember this and so you know i i think it's it's important to understand the history and how strong the ukrainians have been under duress not just now uh but 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 in the previous century as well HR, I want to ask you about China and Russia right now. We're going to start this conversation. We've got a minute 30 before we go to the next break, and then we're going to be on this entire subject the next segment. Your thoughts on China and Russia and what China's interests are or aren't with how this plays out in Ukraine. Okay. You know, I'll tell you, Major, we need to hang this Ukraine, Ukraine around the necks of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, because, you know, they helped facilitate it. And anybody who doubts it, look at what they're saying right now, right? I mean, the Chinese Communist Party is propagating some of these, you know, conspiracy theories, the, these untruths about, you know, biological weapons, you know, de- developed, uh, you know, by the Ukraine. Amplifying Russian propaganda. Amplifying China. Russian propaganda. Any site in China that calls it a war, it gets taken down, right? And and think about what, you know, the, 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 you know, the 5,000 word statement 
that Xi Jinping and Putin released right before the Olympics, right? Where, you know, where, where, uh, where, where they both, I mean, the alliance has no limits, no limits, right? They're, they're each other's BFFs, right? Xi Jinping and Vladimir and Vladimir Putin. And they also talked about a new era of international relations. You know what that means? That what that means is, Hey, the United States is over. We're done, Mm -hmm. right? The West is done. Europe is done. Hey, you know, bandwagon with us because our authoritarian statist, you know, economies and, and political systems, hey, we're the future, right? Well, how's that working out, right, for, for Vladimir Putin and Ukraine? And we need to hang it around China's neck, and we need to stop underwriting our own demise by continuing to continuing normal relations uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. We're going to pick up that thought on the other side of this break with H.R. McMaster. I'm Major Garrett, segment four of The Takeout in just one second. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Back with H.R. McMaster, President Trump's second of four national security advisors. Uh, we're continuing you know, our Major, conversation. I got to tell you a story, right? My, yeah, yeah. my Secret Service detail, who I love, they became like family to me, you know? Right. And and my daughter you know, broke up with the boyfriend, a boyfriend we all loved. You know, I mean, the okay. guy's just a nice guy. Right? But right. It, just, it wasn't meant to be, right? It wasn't meant and to be. Okay. It, it wasn't happens. meant to be. And it's okay. You know, but but my, my Secret Service guys were like, Really? She she broke up. Oh, come on, because they missed him. They they were sad about it, and they said, you know, you said they said they said that my daughter, you know, changes boyfriends like Trump changes national security advisors. Is what they said. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the mouths of the Secret Service, ladies and gentlemen, you will find many, much collected wisdom. Uh, picking up on the point you had just before the break, uh, it has been said by lots of people much smarter than I am, H.R. Uh, McMaster, that China and Russia like to think of the world in spheres of influence. And to your point, they like to think of it as America and Europe declining in influence, China overseeing, if you will, much of Asia, Russia encroaching on Europe, and America and Europe in decline. If that is their theory, how is that crashing on rocks metaphorically in Ukraine? Well, it's crashing on rocks, right? Because, you know, totalitarians, authoritarian leaders, they look strong, right? I mean, you know, Putin's like, he, he, he you know, he, he plays these staged hockey games, right? He's, he appears shirtless on a horseback, right? He's, uh, he's the tough guy, right? And, and I'm sure he looked at, at Vladimir Zelensky and thought, okay, who's this guy? Like, he's an actor, right? He's a comedian. He's a, you know, he's a ballroom dancer, right? But, but actually, totalitarianism is weak. It's brittle. Democracy in all of our ugliness and all the traumas we've been through is actually strong because we have mechanisms for self-correction and improvement, you know, below the threshold of revolution, right? And and so Putin, I think it's important to recognize, hey, he has more people in his internal security service than there are in the Russian military. And it's also important to know that he has more political prisoners in jail right now than there were in jail at the height of the Soviet Union in the middle of the Cold War. So I, I think 
major, it, it's important for us to, to have confidence, right? And, but, what, you know, and what, are, what are China's calculations? There are those who have written that China wants this to drag on because the longer it drags on, the more Europe and the United States will become estranged. They're already Chinese emissaries in Europe saying, hey, America's basically foisting all the costs of this on you. Refugees, placement of troops, higher energy prices. Why don't you get off this thing with America and Ukraine? It's not worth it for you. China is working this in a way to try to maximize its influence in the region. But also, I've read that Russia and China don't do that much economic business, and China has larger economic concerns because if secondary sanctions are applied and Chinese businesses get swept up into this, a long-running war in Ukraine might not be in its best interest. Give me your thoughts. Well, hey, I mean, this is so important. I'm so glad you're talking about this. Everybody needs to be talking about it, about, about China and Russia. They need to hang together, right? And we have to recognize that we, we need to abandon this kind of myth that China, you know, if we welcome them into the international community, that they'll play by the rules, that they will, you know, they, they will they, they will liberalize their economy and, and their form of governance. No. I mean, this is the Chinese Communist Party, an authoritarian regime that is doing everything they can to extend and tighten their grip on power internally through the, the you know the extinguishment of, of human rights, you know, by persecution of anybody who has the temerity to criticize them, journalists, their citizens, you know, the you know the what what they're doing in, in terms of slow genocide, you know, in, in Xinjiang, uh what what they've done in Hong Kong to to extinguish any any kind of rights there. But how about externally? And you know, major, I mean I I just think look at Chinese behavior. Don't look at what they say, right? Because they always spout this kind of nonsense of, you know, we call on all parties. We respect sovereignty. It's complete BS, right? I mean, it's complete BS, right? Look at what they do. Look at what they've done since foisting COVID on the world, right? Suppressing the, 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 anyone uh, and, 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 and persecuting anyone who's trying to ring the alarm bells about COVID. These are journalists and, and, uh, and, and, and medical uh, professionals. How about then adding insult to injury with this wolf warrior diplomacy? Just read their statements about Ukraine right now, mm -hmm. right? And 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 how they're parroting all the Russian propaganda and disinformation. Hey, but you know, how about also the physical actions they've taken? Bludgeoning Indian soldiers to death on the Himalayan frontier, trying to claim, you know, ownership of the ocean in the South China Sea, the, you know, part of the ocean through which one, you know, one third of the world's surface trade flows. How about you know ramming and sinking you know Vietnamese vessels there? How about you know the the threats to Taiwan and Japan with the overflights and, and violation of their airspaces? Uh, but but also how about the massive cyber attacks against us, like against our medical research facilities in the midst of a pandemic, really? And then economic coercion against Australia and Lithuania. Okay, so now look at what they're doing to enable enable this Russian assault and mass murder inflicted on Ukrainians. Hang it around their neck. Ukraine should be a lodestone that finally drags down China. And we have to make business decisions, Major. I mean, why is it that U.S. financial firms, why is it that Wall Street is still investing in China? It's crazy. We are actually you know, enabling the financial flows that are the scaffolding that holds up China's you know, financial model, right? Their statist, you know, authoritarian model. So stop being actually the cause of our own demise. You know, I'm thinking of a Clinton quote, Major, 
Mm-hmm. And when I, when I say Clinton, I'm thinking of uh, of of George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic. Right. In in the in the 1970s, they released an album called "America Eats Its Young," and one and one of the tracks on that album was like, "What w- was uh, you know, if you don't like the effect, don't produce the cause, right?" And and I think, how about that in connection with China? One last thing before we go for our radio audience, HR McMaster, what would you say has surprised you most about the inefficiencies or inabilities of the Russian military in Ukraine? They're inept. They're inept, right? And so. Describe that. What does that mean? What what it means is they cannot, they can't fight in close combat. Close combat, right? The the ability to defeat a defending enemy and establish control over populations and territory is pretty darn complicated. And what you have to be able to do is you have to conduct fire and maneuver. You have to be able to employ all arms, infantry, armor, or mobile protective firepower, artillery joint capabilities in combination to create multiple dilemmas for a defending enemy who has all the advantages of the defense, right? They can conceal themselves. They can occupy positions in advance. And so the, the Russians can't do it. They're a corrupt institution within a corrupt government. And so I think the corruption of, you know, of, of Russia uh, under Putin has certainly inflicted their military. And, you know, I mean, major, there's a, you know, Napoleon said the moral is to the physical in war as a, as a, a three to one. And, and what the moral component is, is confidence, confidence in your ability to fight your training, your, your, your uh, confidence in your teammates, right? The man and woman next to you who's right. willing to give everything, including their own lives for you. And so you need your know, psychological strength to close with and destroy the enemy, to know that every bullet's not meant for you so that you can take risk. And you can win, right? In close combat, they can't. They can't do it. They, Who you're fighting they with showed- and what you're fighting for matter a great deal. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. That's the voice of HR McMaster, President Trump's second national security advisor. Stay tuned for those of you watching on CBS Streaming and those listening on podcasts. The Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. You know, this is typically the fun and games part of the program, but let's just be candid. Ukraine is not a fun and games subject right now. HR McMaster is our special guest. HR has a podcast. Most everyone in America does these days. I don't know if you've noticed. Battlegrounds is the name of the podcast. HR, tell us what the uh, what that's all about. Well, you know, in, in my book, Battlegrounds, so I, I was kind of unimaginative, you know, in terms of the title of the, <laughs> branding, of the podcast. Branding, branding, branding. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, w- w- what it's meant to do is to foster strategic empathy, a term that I've borrowed from a great historian named Zachary Shore. And that's really our ability to view complex challenges and, and opportunities abroad from the perspective of others. So it's long format interviews with world leaders. So, 
you know, I've interviewed people from, you know, President Santos to Prime Minister Abe to all of my the former counterparts as national security advisors who were kind enough to come on the program. But recently, I just interviewed Oleksiy Honcharik, uh, who is in Kiev. Uh, and also, I interviewed the, the Polish chief of defense, uh, General Andrzejczyk. So what I try to do is, is not just it's not just a current events thing, but it's meant to deepen our understanding of these challenges and opportunities abroad so that so that we can improve our competence in coping with them and that we can partner right with with like-minded nations and 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 others internationally to build a better future for generations to come so that's the theme and it's fun to do it i get to to you know to to rekindle you know conversations right. with old friends uh but but uh you know i i think that Viewers would like to see maybe the perspective of Alexei Huncharik. It would be complimentary to to this podcast and 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 what you're doing, Major, and and to hear his perspective uh, from from Kiev. So, HR, we have three threshold questions we ask every single guest on this program. This program is in its sixth year, so lots of people have answered these questions, and our audience loves the answers because through them they get to know who they've been listening to. So, take these questions in whichever order you prefer. The most influential book in your life or one of the most influential books in your life and why? All-time favorite movie? And if you're on a long flight or a long drive and you're going to listen to some music you really, really love, what is that music most likely to be, either by artist or genre? Okay, so, all right. Uh, so, f- uh, first of all, a book, it's so it's impossible. I, I can't I, I'm it. sure. <laughs> I mean, because I'm a historian, right? So, right. I mean, so, I, so I, but but I would think that and these days, probably Americans won't 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 read this, but I hope they do. But read read Don Higginbotham, one of, one of my advisors at the University of North Carolina, where I got my doctorate in history. What a phenomenal guy! I loved the man. He's he's a wonderful historian and just a wonderful person. But he he wrote a book called The War of American Independence. And these days, you know, when we have all these you know doubts about who we are as a people and mm-hmm. so forth, I mean. It's just a good corrective to all that, and it's a it's a it's a well written, well told story, right? Um, so Don Higginbotham, anything he's written, but but that book in particular, a movie. Gosh, it's so hard, man. I'm terrible at popular culture. I love movies, you know, but but I but I but I, you know, I, I'm thinking of all the you know the military movies that are that. Are, hey, you know, how about Gettysburg, man? You yeah. Know? And so if you're interested in, in things military, yes. Now I'm a cavalry officer, so mm-hmm. you know, when Buford rides up, right. <laughs> On the, on the seminary ridge yep. and he goes i've seen it like it already happened right yep. he's, a, he's the he's he's the paragon of, yes. of, of a cavalry officer setting conditions for the battle how can you not love that i mean i, I love it right i i, I mean it's one of my all-time favorite movies and if you go back in the archives of this show either hr or anyone who's interested we did a hour long with ron maxwell who brought that story to <laughs> film Okay, and it's one of right. my favorite. It's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done of this show. We did it at his house <laughs> in rural Virginia. Uh, that is a great, great movie. As a matter of fact, HR, I watch that movie every Fourth of July. Do you really? Okay, all right. I'll start doing that too, man. Because I mean, one of my, one of my actually... rituals. Favorite music before we go. Okay, hey, you know, I'll tell you. You mentioned how many national security advisors Trump had. It was a lot. Uh, <laughs> and and so you start thinking about like what distinguishes you. I wasn't going to be the. I wasn't going to be the shortest serving. Right. Right. Uh, I don't know if I was the longest. Serving. I don't think it was the longest serving. But, it, you know, and, and you look at uh, the broad range of national security advisors. Right. You know, I'm not going to be the smartest. Right. Henry Kissinger. God, you know, the guy's brilliant, you know, whatever. So what distinguishes me? I think I, I, I want to be known as the funkiest. 
national security advisor major. <laughs> so, I mean, you might think that's incongruous, right? Like mm-hmm. as, a, as a retired general, but you know, I grew up on, you know, old Motown, but funk, you know, I mean, real. I mean, and I mentioned parliament funkadelic already. Right. So, you know, I think rhythm is important to life. I think appreciation for music, because I love that you asked this question, you know, is important to, 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 to life because, you know, people who appreciate music are, t- are empathetic, right? They listen to others. They have a sense of rhythm, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and there's a rhythm to foreign policy, to national security. There's a rhythm to battle, right? <laughs> and, and so, and, and to combat. And so I, I just think that, you know, it's an important question, but hey, funk, man, old funk. funk. <laughs> Old fuck. That is great and unexpected. The voice of HR McMaster, our special guest this week. It's been a pleasure, sir. Be well. We'll be in touch. Everyone, we'll see you next week on The Takeout. Thanks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.